0: We're, we're continuing our study in Colossians 4, and Vinny, thank you again for covering for me last week. Last week just got really busy with, with everything that was going on over the weekend, and so Vinny covered for me. So we took a bit of a break, but we're back in Colossians 4 tonight, so turn with me there if you haven't already. And tonight, the passage uh, that we're studying, uh, it sort of shifts the conversation in Paul's letter a little bit, and it's a good reminder here that, that don't forget that the book of Colossians is actually a letter that Paul wrote to the church of the Colossians. Pretty much all of Paul's writings in Scripture uh, were, were actually a letter written to uh, different churches. And because it's a letter, you'll see all the parts that you'll normally see in a letter. And for you young kids, a letter is like an email but on paper. <laughs> and for you really young kids, an email is like a tweet but longer and it makes sense. Um, In Paul's letters, you'll always find the introductory part at the beginning, and then, uh, you know, that indicates who the letter was written to and why it was written. And then near the end, Paul always signs off, you know, he'll mention the names of a bunch of people for various reasons. It's like when you're you're on the phone with with someone and they just can't let you go. And they're like, oh, and, and Tom says hi, and Jerry says hi, and some of this and that. Like, a lot of people were saying hi, and they couldn't just... FaceTime each other, so they were all talking through Paul's letters to each other. It's kind of cute if you think about it. Um, So at the end of the letters, it was either like an expect to see so-and-so soon because they're on their way, or yeah, so-and-so says hello, and all that other stuff. And so that's just typical stuff that you would communicate when you're communicating with people that you care about. But let's not forget that these words were included in Scripture. God chose to include them in the Bible. So we treat them exactly the same as we do other words in Scripture because they were given to us by inspiration of God. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness. So we trust that God meant that, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and that all Scripture is profitable for us. And what you find in Paul's letters is even in, in these ending parts, man, there's plenty for us to learn. There's plenty for us to see. There's plenty for us to to look at. And tonight we're looking about a dude named Tychicus. Um, I have it written a little weird on your sheet and hopefully that makes sense in a bit. Uh, He was actually a pretty cool dude from what we'll read because Paul said some things about him uh, that any of us would be happy if someone said those things about us. So there are some things we can learn from what little we know about Tychicus. So that's why tonight's message is called Be Like Tychicus. Um, And if if this week hadn't gotten super busy for me, that would make more sense because I was going to take the old Be Like Mike commercials from, like, the 90s and just dub my own voice in there so that there's a bunch of kids saying, Be like Tychicus. <laughs> it was going to be great. <laughs> I don't, it really wouldn't have taken me that long. I don't, I don't know wh- what happened this week. Um, so, so if you remember those old commercials, they were Nike commercials because they were trying to sell you shoes, and they told you to be like Mike, talking about Michael Jordan you know, because Michael Jordan was a great basketball player. But Tychicus, man, that's a role model that we should strive to be like. If each of us can have a ministry like Tychicus did, then God can really do some awesome, awesome things with us. I mean, if you be like Mike, you could probably play basketball against some aliens with the Looney Tunes, but that's about as high as you can aim with being like Mike. Like, I know he was a champion of basketball and all sorts of, all sorts of accomplishments, but like, In my mind, like, (laughs) the pinnacle of his career was beating those aliens with the Looney Tunes. Um, But man, being like Tychicus, we can aim so much higher. There's a movie called Space Jam, in case anybody's (laughs) never seen it. (laughs) This is a part of my childhood. It was like a staple growing up. But we can aim so much higher than Space Jam if we're trying to be like Tychicus. So let's read Colossians 4, 7 through 9. It says all my state shall Tychicus declare unto you who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts with Onesimus a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you they shall make known unto you all things which are done here so Paul calls Tychicus a beloved brother a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord and that's high praise I think any of us would be happy to have someone say those things about us, Uh, especially someone like the Apostle Paul who God so clearly used in so many ways. So Tychicus has already proven to Paul that he's all of those things and that's why Paul sent Tychicus to the Colossians. That's what he says in verse uh, eight. He says, whom I have sent unto you. So he could comfort their hearts with everything that they were going through so he could share with them what God was doing with Paul's life and ministry so he could share them the words that Paul was writing to them. And if you know anything about Paul, you know he doesn't just send people that he doesn't trust to do anything. And Paul trusted Tychicus on more than one occasion. Uh, Colossians 4.18, the end of this chapter, tells us the salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds, grace be with you, amen, written from Rome to Colossians by Tychicus and Onesimus. So Tychicus, along with this guy Onesimus, actually were the ones who delivered this letter to the Colossians. Paul didn't trust the post office. Who could blame him? But this wasn't the only one of Paul's letters that Tychicus delivered. Ephesians 6 ends similarly in verse 24. It says, Grace be with all men, or be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity, amen, to the Ephesians written from Rome by Tychicus. So he also delivered the letter to the Ephesians. And Tychicus spent a lot of time with Paul. Acts 20 verse 4 tells us that he actually accompanied Paul on some of his travels. So Paul knew who Tychicus was. He trusted him with the delivery of God's word to these various churches. So what can we learn from these few verses about Tychicus? Well, we can learn what it takes to be used by God and to be effective in ministry because we all want to be sent to do something, whether or not you think about it like that. Uh, Maybe you don't want to be sent around the world necessarily, but if you're looking to serve the Lord with your life, you want to be given some kind of ministry for you to serve in. You want to do something. But before we can expect to be given a major role in ministry like Tychicus, uh, we have to prove ourselves capable in some areas of life. So before we can expect to be sent to serve in a particular capacity, we have to, point number one, get good. And this is what what he says in verse 7. And this is just the things that Paul says about him. He says, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. And this, is, and this is key for us to get through our heads. And believe me, it took me a while to get this through my head when I first started wanting to serve the Lord in, in, in a larger capacity. And that's my wife. I've got a pretty hard head. And sometimes it can take me a minute to let things sink in. But we have to understand our need to prepare for ministry. We have to get good at what we're already doing before we can be trusted to do something else. 1 uh, Timothy three six says about pastors that they should be not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation condemnation of the devil. And yeah, I get it. Not everybody wants to be pastors, but the principle applies to all of us. You sh- shouldn't be given too much responsibility before you're ready to handle it. You shouldn't be a novice for your entire life. You're only a novice when you start doing something. You should get better at it as time goes. And sure, there's many ministry opportunities that you can get involved in at our church right now, regardless of where you're at in your walk with God. Uh, you know, First Baptist always finds way to have people serve regardless of, of where you are in your own personal growth. So if you're not doing anything, man, that's your own fault because you're, you're at a place where you can do that. There's all kinds of stuff you could do. And if you're struggling to find out what those things are, you know, come talk to me afterwards because there's, there's things I'm sure we can, we can find. But further preparation is going to be required if you're desiring to serve the Lord in some kind of leadership capacity. Whether you're wanting to lead a ministry or even something as simple as, as leading another believer through, through discipleship and teaching them the words of God. You can't be a novice and serving in those types of roles. It wouldn't be good for you and it wouldn't be good for the other people. And that's why 1 Timothy 3.10 writes about deacons. It says, and let these also first be proved. So you got to be proved first. So if you're looking for some op- new opportunity in ministry, you have to be aware that your leaders are going to be looking to see that you've been proved. And being proved takes time. It takes time and it takes work. 2 Timothy 2:15 says, "Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth." So it's work, it takes time, it takes effort. And look, wanting to serve in some kind of ministry leadership that's a good thing. And just by wanting that, you're bringing glory to God. The Bible says if you desire the office of, office of a bishop, you desire a good work. So man, that's a good thing. But just wanting it isn't enough. You have to let God prove you first. And, and yeah, it takes time and work, but if you really want to serve the Lord, man, that's, that's what he requires of us. But it is worth it. Because after you've been proved, well, now everyone involved can be more confident with your ministry moving forward. Your leaders can be more confident because they've watched you grow and they've watched you deal with struggles. So they have some ideas about how you're going to deal with struggles in the future. And you can be more confident because you've watched God already do some things in your life and in your ministry and you can move forward expecting that he's going to do those things in the future. Because bigger roles in ministry come with bigger responsibilities. It's not just a Spider-Man thing. And one thing that Jesus frequently talked about throughout the parables that he he shared was that people can't be trusted with a lot of responsibility if they haven't proven themselves faithful with a little bit of responsibility. So we need to allow some time for God to prove us, to prove that we can handle the increased responsibility that we want. And Tychicus was given some big responsibility. Paul trusted him to deliver his letters. Paul sent him to share the news of his situation with the church of the Colossians, and he trusted them, him to comfort and minister to that church. That was a big deal, because Paul cared about those churches, but Paul couldn't go to those churches on his own. He was he was in Rome at the time that this was written, which means he was in prison. So he was sending Tychicus to do that for him. And Paul was able to trust him in that, because in Paul's mind, Tychicus had been proven. And we see that through the things uh, the characteristics that Paul lists about him in verse seven. So let's just go through those characteristics. Letter A, he was a beloved brother. So Paul considers Tychicus to be a beloved brother and that might just sound to us like it's a churchy thing that people say because often it's a churchy thing that we say. But biblically speaking, calling someone a beloved brother is is pretty important. Romans 12.10 says, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. And this topic of Brotherly love, it's something that you can see throughout the New Testament. But it it just involves being kindly affection to one another and preferring one another. And we obviously understand that in the context of our families. We know we should put our family members uh, before other people. That's that's something that, that most, if not all of us, do. But brotherly love in the Bible is always mentioned in the context of our church family, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So a biblical understanding of what it means to love our brothers and sisters in Christ is simply being kindly affectionate with each other and preferring one another. We're just supposed to put each other as fellow members of Christ's body before ourselves in love. This shouldn't be a weird concept for us to understand. It's just we don't always do it. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.9, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. You're taught of God to love one another, so it's something that, that we know. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and with that comes the innate understanding that we're to love one another. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the clearest example of love that we could ever ask for. And understanding that we're to love people the way Christ loves us, the concept of loving one another is not some groundbreaking truth that, that you didn't see coming. We're supposed to love each other the way Christ loved us when he died for us. Proverbs 18, 24 says, there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And man, that's the kind of friendships that we should be having with one another. You should be able to rely on your Christian brothers and sisters more than you can on your own family members. And you should be more reliable than those family members as well. And having this kind of love for your church family is key in being proven because John 13, 35 says, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another, People can know that we have the love of God living inside of us if they see our love for one another. This has been a common theme throughout Colossians. People can't always see our relationship with God. They can't see God living inside of us. But man, they can see how we live out that truth. They can see our relationships with one another and know that we're different because we have God living inside of us. Loving your brother is evidence of what God has done for you. It's evidence of the way God loves you. Because he's given you reason to love them, and he loves them, so it's only natural that you should too. But true biblical love is never just an emotion. Love, is always, er, love always involves action. And scripture has some pretty clear examples of the type of actions that we should have toward one another. Hebrews 10.25 says, "...not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as ye see the day approaching." So we need to spend time together. And that time we spend together should be exhorting or encouraging. We should spend time lifting each other up in prayer and giving each other encouragement. Because that's what you do when you love someone. You carve out some time from your busy schedule just to spend with them. And yes, we understand that an application of this verse is, you know, making sure we don't forget to come to church on Sundays. But we also need to understand that our time together shouldn't just be limited to Sundays and Tuesdays. Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We should be doing life together. And this world is a rough place to try to navigate on your own for days or weeks at a time. So we need encouragement, the encouragement that comes from spending time with one another. So don't rob your brothers and sisters of that time. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. So we should also be comforting and edifying one another. Comforting is obvious. We all go through struggles and we should comfort one another through those struggles. But we should also edify one another and that just means to build each other up, to strengthen one another. So when God shows you something cool in scripture, you know, that comforts you or teaches you something new or or you see something from a new perspective, man, share that. Talk about that with each other because God can use that same thing to show them that same comfort or edify them the same way it edified you. And God can use you to do it if you love him enough to share what God's showing you. And let's look at one more. Proverbs 27, verse 17 says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Man, we should be sharpening each other's countenance. And this one is more difficult because this one involves holding each other accountable. It involves pointing out each other's weaknesses, by pointing, but pointing them out in love to help to help each of them overcome them, rather than just pointing out each other's faults. This isn't just, hey man, Vinny, you suck, thanks. (laughs) That's not what this is. This is helping each other out by uh, sharpening them and helping them improve. You know, when you sharpen someone's countenance, you're helping them become a better minister. You're helping them remove excess baggage so they can be more effective at serving the Lord. Like sharpening a knife. You know, the process of that involves removing excess material so the knife gets sharper, and when a knife is sharper, it's better at knifing things. <laughs> Man, this, sharpening the countenance of your friend involves telling your friend, you know, they're not doing something that they should be doing. It involves telling them that, you're, that they're, they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing, or they're not doing something that they shouldn't, should be doing. It, you're removing that excess material so they're better at serving the Lord. And this is hard, because people don't like to be corrected. And most of us don't like confrontation. Some of us do, but we're weird. But if we love each other enough and want to to help sharpen each other's countenance, man, this is what we have to do. We have to be bold with each other and, and, and share with each other when we see something that's a little messed up. And in that way, God can use us to make one another better people if we love them enough to do it. But Tychicus was a beloved brother. And we could, and we should s- seek to be the same thing because when Paul calls him a beloved brother, he recognizes that Ty- Tychicus loves his brothers and sisters in Christ and that's important because, because this true biblical kind of brotherly love is essential in any kind of ministry leadership. He was sending Tychicus to the church of Colossians to comfort them and if he didn't have the brotherly love to do that to the brothers and sisters that were around him, if he hadn't proven he was a beloved brother, why would Paul have sent him to comfort the church in Colossians? And so that's essential in any kind of ministry leadership that, that you would be involved in. Because your spiritual leadership over others in the church is never supposed to be some kind of dictatorial, do this and do that kind of leadership. When you're given leadership and responsibility over others, you're supposed to sacrificially serve them with Christ as your example. So if you never get to the point where your love for the brethren is evident in your life, man, that's a big red flag to indicate you're not ready for increased responsibility yet. But that's not the only way that Tychicus was proven to Paul. He also calls him a faithful minister, and that's letter B. So not only should we seek to minister, which just means meeting the needs of others, we should also make sure that we're ministering faithfully. So this is kind of getting at how we're ministering because we all understand that, you know, we're supposed to serve one another. That's part of brotherly love. But man, we got to be faithful ministers and not just ministers. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So when you're given stewardship, which is an f- older word for responsibility, over a ministry or over another believer in discipleship, it's expected that you're to be faithful with that responsibility. Well, what does it mean to be faithful? Well, separate those two words. Faithful is full of faith. And faith is defined for us in Hebrews 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So being faithful involves doing what you know to do, even when you really don't want to do them. It's trusting God, in what he says rather than trusting what's going on around you and what you feel and what you see. It's trusting what you know from God's word. And when you're a faithful minister, it means you're ministering in a way that's evident of that. Maybe you wake up in the morning and don't feel like ministering today. Well, being a faithful minister means you do it anyways because you know God tells you to in his word. And even if you don't feel like it, you know you're supposed to. Maybe you have some idea on how to do something that goes contrary to scripture Well, being a faithful minister means doing it God's way, even when you think your way might work. Man, just trust what God says and do what he says. Being faithful means you're trusting God rather than yourself. And being a faithful minister means you're doing what God asks you to, the way he asks you to do it, rather than just doing what you want the way you want. And that's a rare thing to find. In fact, Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find? So faithful people are hard to find, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be faithful ministers. It just should emphasize our need to do that. If there's not many of them, man, you should be one of them. And Jesus is obviously our example of ministry. Matthew 20, 28 says, even as the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So being a minister the way Jesus was a minister is simply giving your life for others. And there are many ways That we do that. The primary way we do that for lost people, we see that in Romans 10. Verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, which is a great thing. The gospel's simple. Somebody wants to get saved, all they gotta do is, is ask God for it. But verse 14 indicates how we play a part of that. Verse 14 says, how, thou, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So we minister to lost people primarily by preaching the gospel. But I'm hey, I'm no, I'm not, maybe people think that they're not a preacher. Well, you should be. Preaching is just the act of proclaiming God's word to others and encouraging them to do what he says. And unless you do that for other people, they may never hear the gospel. And if they don't hear it, they can't respond to it. And if they can't respond to it, man, they're headed for an eternity separated from God in hell. So you don't have to stand at a pulpit or anything, but if you're not preaching the gospel, if you're not sharing it with other people, you're not ministering to lost people in the one way that can do them any good. And sure, sometimes we try to meet people's physical needs with clothing or food or whatever, and and that's great, but a faithful minister understands that God's primary, if not only concern, is getting his words into their life. So if we're not doing that, we can hardly consider ourselves faithful ministers to those people because we're not believing God when he says that that's our job. And the primary way that we minister to save people is found in 2 Timothy 2.2, which says, "...and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also." So faithful men are to teach others. So we minister by investing what we know into other people. And that's just the process of discipleship. Faithful ministers will invest the things they learn into younger believers so that they can be built up and grow into mature Christians who will then be able to win people to Christ and make disciples of their own. There are many ways we can minister to people, but a true faithful minister will understand the importance that God placed on those two ministries, winning people to Christ and making disciples. And a faithful minister will do those two things, even when it prevents him from doing other things that might seem more important. And Tychicus was a faithful minister. That's how Paul knew he could trust him to focus on what's important and do what's asked of him. But he was also a a fellow servant, letter C. And this one's important to understand. Though being a servant is related to being a minister, so let's focus on that fellow part of the word fellow servant. In the Bible, the word fellow when it shows up on its own it just means a man. Hey, look at that fellow. Just means hey, look at that look at that dude. Look at that guy. He's over there. That's not what we're talking about here. Cuz when the word fellow shows up at the be- as the beginning of a word like here fellow servant, it just means you're doing something with other people. You know, we often think of fellowship as spending time with connecting with, with other people, with our fellows. Um, you know, First John one seven says we have fellowship one with another. It's something you're doing with other people. Um, Philippians 3.10 says that if we suffer for Jesus' sake, then we have fellowship with him because he suffered for us. So being a fellow servant just means that you're serving with other people. So when Paul calls Tychicus a fellow servant, he's just indicating that Tychicus was someone who had served with him. And this one's pretty self-explanatory. You should be serving the Lord with other people. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that, with other believers in Christ. Because if you think about it, God doesn't give ministry to us as individuals. He entrusts his ministry to us as a body of believers. So we should be making sure we're doing that together. And how do we serve? Well, we already talked about some specific ways we minister, and all of that applies here we just need to make sure we're doing those things together with one another. But in general, Romans 12:1 tells us what our service is. Romans 12:1 says, "I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service." So how do you serve? Well, in general, you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. That's your reasonable service. You just submit to doing whatever God asks, wherever and whenever he asks you to do it. And frequently, he'll use your leaders to communicate the specifics on that to you. So if you're wanting to pursue some more responsibility in ministry, maybe consider what you're already being asked to do. You know, maybe think twice before saying no when you're asked to serve in some capacity, even if it's something that maybe wouldn't have been your first choice. These are the things Tychicus did before Paul sent him to the Colossians and to the other churches. He served with him. He was a fellow servant. And these are the things that Paul could say about Tychicus because of his prior ministry before being entrusted to deliver God's word to those people. And what we need to see tonight is that these are the things that we need to do before we can be sent. But eventually, we can get sent, number two. And, and that's kind of the rest of the verse here. It's it's because of those things that Tychicus had done and it's those things that Paul could say about Tychicus that allowed him to be sent. Again, verse eight just says, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that he might know your heart, know your estate and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They shall make known unto you all things which are done here. So Paul sent him for the same purpose as what we just talked about. So Paul sent Tychicus to Colossians, to do the same things he was already doing. Um, and, and again, being sent doesn't necessarily mean you're going to some other location. It may mean that, but you can be sent to do something else right here. So in practical terms, being sent just means you're being entrusted with the responsibility to do something new. Whether you're being sent to disciple somebody, or being sent to serve in the kids' ministry, or being sent to teach a 9 a.m. class, whatever whatever it might be, there's all kinds of opportunities. But hopefully it's clear we should all want to be sent to do something that no one else is doing. We should want to be serving the Lord in some capacity that's needed. And if somebody's already doing something, it isn't, it isn't needed. You know what I mean? So we should all be wanting to, to find our niche and our way of serving the Lord. And what you're sent to do can be a variety of things. Generally speaking, though, we're all sent by God to reach the world. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That's something we all share. Verse 20, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. So an ambassador is someone who goes somewhere else and represents uh, whoever sent them. And man, that's what God expects of us. Because God doesn't live on this planet right now. He lives in his church. We're his church and we're his representative to the world. So we're his ambassadors. God gave us the ministry of reaching the world with the saving news of the gospel. And he sends us as as his ambassadors to do just that. So we're all called to evangelize and make disciples so that the gospel can spread to anyone who will hear it. That's true of everyone, but man, specifically speaking, how that plays out in your life is going to be different than how that plays out in my life. It's going to be different than how it plays out in Vinny's life and John's life. Everybody's got their own role and their own path to follow with God. 1 uh, Corinthians 7, 17 through 20 says, But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk, and so I ordain in all churches. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not be uncircumcised. Is any called an uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing but keeping the commandments of God. Let every man abide in the same calling where he was called. So everybody's life is different. We don't all have to do the same thing. A preacher explained to me once when I was younger that you think of the church like a baseball team. Man, having unity in the church is important. But unity and uniformity are two different things. If we all tried to play first base, we wouldn't win many games. But man, if we're all playing together in our separate positions, we can get some stuff done. So everybody's going to have their own role. Everybody's going to have their niche. We're all going to be called by God to do specific things in our life. And those things are going to be different than everyone else around us. And that's a good thing because there's a lot of work to do to reach the world with the gospel. But that's the church's job to do that. So together we can accomplish that if we follow God's instructions and do what he asks each of us to do. And this is true for each of us, whether you're sent to do ministry on the other side of the world, whether you're sent to do ministry on the other side of of, of town, or whether you're sent to do ministry on the other side of the parking lot. You know, we should all be looking to be sent to do something. And we should all be looking, or yeah, and we should all be preparing for, for whatever that is by allowing ourselves to be proven as beloved brethren, faithful ministers, and fellow servants, just like Tychicus. And Tychicus is just one of the many examples of people who are sent to do ministry because Paul sent people. So consider, you know, where will, where will your spiritual leaders send you? What will you be asked to do? Maybe that's something to think about the next time one of them asks you if you want to serve in some capacity. Maybe that's something to consider the next time a clipboard gets passed around. Wink. (laughs) Your spiritual growth is a process, and even the act of serving in a simple ministry, man, that's part of your spiritual growth. Even something as simple as helping to clean up after a meal. And taking those opportunities to serve can work to prove you the way that Tychicus was proven. But we have to remember that God chooses to use the local church as his vehicle to minister to the world. And as such, he guides and directs the ministry and move and he, and he moves people around all the time so that things can be done the way he wants them to be done. And good spiritual leaders and pastors, they're always going to be looking for what God wants. They're always going to be praying for, for how, to, how you can be used, for how the person sitting next to you can be used, on how God wants to use people. So man, don't take, don't take suggestions on where you should minister from them. Don't take those lightly because chances are they've prayed over them before they asked you. If a job needs done and you can do that job and and one of your leaders is suggesting you can do that job, chances are good that God's wanting you to do that job, at least for now. And as you continue growing, man, you'll be able to be sent to do more and more on your own as your continued ministry proves that you're capable of handling more ministry. And you can be confident that God's going to use you in whatever capacity because you've seen him use you before. And that can continue as long as you allow it to until one day you may just be sent off to start your own church the way we sent Matt to Columbus, the way Cale was sent to Hungary. And in that, man, you'll have opportunities to reproduce the very church that grew you up into maturity. And that, the the church reproduction, man, that is the fulfillment of the Great Commission in the purest sense. That's what evangelism and discipleship lead to is is new churches reaching new areas of the world. Man, praise the Lord when he does something that fantastic. Philippians one six says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So just because you're saved doesn't mean Jesus is done with you yet. He still has work he wants to do on you and on me. And we have to allow him to continue growing and shaping us. And ministry opportunities are just one way that he can do that, or one way that he does that. And as you allow him to continue that process of growth in your life, man, your leaders will take notice. And as they take notice, they'll know they can trust you with more and more responsibility. So as we wrap up tonight, are you you ready to do the job that the Lord has for you? And that's an important question to ask yourself because most Christians don't. If you want to live a life of fulfillment, first of all, you need to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But even after that, man, once you're saved, you have to serve the Lord if you want to live that life of fulfillment. Sure, God will let you spend your time and effort doing whatever you want to in this life, but nothing else is going to give you the abundant life that God wants you to have serving him. So maybe you're here tonight thinking, man, I just want to come to church on Sundays and Tuesdays and live my own life for the rest of the week. I think of the meme like, sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> like, why are you telling me all this? I just, wanna, I just wanna come to church on Sundays and Tuesdays. And you can do that. But would you consider just for a moment that there's more to life than that? Yeah. Because you're in a church with plenty of opportunities to serve in ministry and you're in a church that will do everything it can to make sure that you grow up into maturity so that you're able to handle whatever ministry God has planned for you. And please don't take that for granted. Unfortunately, a lot of people do, but you don't have to. Maybe you're wanting to serve, but you don't know where or how. Well, that's, that's fine. Talk to me about it. Talk to somebody else about it. We're here to help, you, help each other learn and grow. So, man, if you've got concerns, if you don't know what to do, talk to somebody. But for those of us who are trying to serve God as much as we can, we've got to be like Tychicus and be proven before we can be sent. That's why discipleship exists. That's why MTT and LFBI exist. And that's why there's so many opportunities to serve in ministry at this church. So what's next on your list? What's God asking you to do right now to serve him? Again, man, if you need help figuring that out, talk to someone about that. We're all in this together. We're all trying to figure out what God wants for our lives together so that we can be faithful ministers and fellow servants together. So man, let's figure out stuff like like the body of Christ was designed to do together. So let's pray and we'll wrap up and have chips and cookies. God, I thank you so much for, again, man, just the simplicity of your word. And, you know, Tychicus was a cool guy. You don't talk about him a lot, but man, we can learn a lot from him in just a few short verses. And I thank you for the example that that he provides for us. And just, man, how how simple it is to just understand what it takes to, to grow into maturity. And God, I pray that as we consider what it is you want us to do, and where it is you want us to serve, and what area, that we would just, we would see clearly from you exactly what you want us to do right now, Um, even if we don't see the end, even if we don't see where you're taking us. Um, Man, we thank you so much for, for the ministry. You know, you, you could have chosen any method you wanted to reach the world, but you chose to use us, God, and we certainly thank you for that, and just ask that, man, we would be good stewards of that, and we would be able to handle that, and, um, bring you glory through it we love you lord In your name we pray amen